welcome to Total Saints FC Delivery Podcast. My name is Ben Stanfield, at Ben Stanners on Twitter, and I'm the host of Total Saints Podcast. You can find Total Saints Podcast on Twitter, at Total Saints Pod. Hey, I'm John Bailey uh, from Saints FC Podcast. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Saints FC Podcast, um, and I generally loiter around anywhere with a hashtag Saints FC, so you can find us there anyway. My name is Matt Markstone, and I am the host of the Southampton Delivery Podcast. You can find it on Twitter at SFCDELL underscore IVERY. And uh, I'm all the way in California. I'm the one either with or without the accent, depending on uh, where you listen. So, uh, and we're all here. So, guys, I'm excited to do this. I don't know how, how you're feeling about this. or And I know we were kind of saying before we started, the uh, it's kind of nice to do this. In a, in a positive manner versus uh, what what could have happened and what looked likely just uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah, it's been a, a roller coaster of a, of a few weeks, Matt, hasn't it? I think it's been quite a season for Saints fans. We're used to the ups and downs of being a, a fan of Southampton, but nice to come away with a positive uh, result in the end of staying in the Premier League and uh, nice that we can all remain official Premier League podcasters going into next season, eh? Yeah, absolutely. I've got my uh, Premier League um, armband, little patches ready to iron onto my shirt when I do my recording for this. <laughs> um, yeah, no, really, really great to be able to do this podcast with with both of you guys. And um, I think we should give a little shout out to Lucy as well for making this suggestion and for you guys for getting on board. Although we didn't quite manage the trip out to California to Matt's flash pad with the pool and the mountains and the beaches and all of that. But, you know... Maybe next year, John. You were you were mentioning uh, your your previous recording, the podcast you did uh, during the the Swansea game. I was about at your state when I suggested that everybody fly out here. So don't don't worry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I was too scared to even ask Mrs. Stanfield if I could come out, Matt. To be honest, so there was no chance that was ever, ever going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's understandable. But yeah, but I, I, this is this is a first for us. We've never. I mean, I think we've all kind of been on each other's stuff and and talked to each other. I think we talked to each other quite a bit. I don't know if people know that, uh, but this is the first time we've ever kind of done this. And I I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully, everybody else is too. Yeah, I mean, I think we have a, a mutual respect between the three of us. I think we have a fantastic content, and I think all of our podcasts are really well received by the uh, the Saints fan base. Obviously, as Adam said in our last podcast, I know we're really, really grateful for, for all the listeners that uh, all three of us get. And I, I think you're right, Matt. It's, uh, I think, relationship between the three of us. There's no competition. Neither of us are trying to take over the world. I think we're just trying to share our story with Saints fans and, um, you know, put out good content that everyone wants to listen to. Man, you two are so nice. I mean, I hate you guys. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> what are these guys trying to take all my listeners? It's an outrage. The only reason I'm on this podcast is to try and steal your listeners back to mine. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, to be fair, John, Matt invited you, not me. So uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, all joking aside, yeah, it's it's really great. And actually, um, you know what? I, I think kind of like Matt and I definitely had this conversation uh, for, before about um, you know a little while back there just weren't any Saints podcasts. And I was like, oh, you know what? To hell with it. I'm going to set up a podcast. And it's great because you guys are both doing a podcast as well, which means I can put one out, but also I've got two great podcasts to listen to, which, yeah, yeah. yeah. fills up the, the morning commute. Absolutely, absolutely. What, what have you enjoyed most about podcasting this season, Matt? Honestly, for me, it's it's just the, the, the chance to kind of connect with everybody. And then uh, just I think it's just talking to people, just talking to uh, all of the different fans from all over the world, all across the United States. And then, you know, then uh, of course having the chance to actually go over uh, to the UK to to England and 
and see a match and meet some of the people. I think that uh, the, the, that personal connection has been great because uh, it definitely hasn't been uh, the footballer and saying seemingly the same thing uh, every single week. But uh, what about what about you, John? I mean, it's it's been pretty crazy. I was thinking about it um, in the pub whilst the emotions were running high on on Tuesday night. But I was in the pub in London with like eight other guys that all support Southampton. And, you know, a couple of them, like my brother and Tom, I've known for a while. But the rest of them were strangers at the start of the season. And it, it's just so great to like now have like a little posse that you can go go and hang out with, drink beers with, chat about Saints with. And then also um, like having you over uh, to my house when you came to visit um, England and Southampton. Um, and we had another American guy listening to the podcast coming in and being on the show. So it's, it's just mad. You know, if you think about what well, was only just over a year ago when I did my first podcast and I've spoken and met some of my heroes and met, you know, loads of great people from the Saints family. It was just kind of, it's, you know, it's making new friends. It's nice. Ben, and what about, what about you? This is because you started, you and Adam started up this, this season, right? Right at the beginning. That's right. Yeah, that's right. We, um, yeah, we, we, um, it, I mean, it was, you know, my idea. I, I think I wanted to do something that was, um, keep, keep me sort of involved with, uh, with Saints. The, 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 there's a long story, which I won't bore everyone with, but I was going to write a book about Saints and, uh, some of the, the memories about the Libra years. And then, uh, one of my good contacts at Saints, Gareth Rogers, who was a, a really nice guy, unfortunately left. So that sort of, uh, nips that in the bud. And I, I thought that what can I do that will keep me involved with Saints, keep me talking about something that we're all passionate about. And, um, yeah, we, we, started the podcast up but I, I think I sort of thought Matt if I did it on my own probably it would fizzle out quite quickly because people wouldn't necessarily want to listen to my ramblings and Adam and I are good mates we've known each other 20 years we used to play football together obviously he has the the job that all of us want which is getting paid to watch Saints and uh, write about them and interview the players and all those sorts of things so I asked him if he'd do it because I thought if he came on, then uh, obviously that would be someone that uh, people would be interested uh, in hearing to and uh, hearing from. Sorry, and yeah, I mean, just you know, without going into loads and loads of details, I think the the two sort of real positives for me are that um, you know we've we've had we've been lucky enough TSP to have listens from New Zealand to Argentina and Brazil. We've had people in Nepal and Cambodia, and I mean the stats that we can see on SoundCloud a bit like you guys. Um, it's incredible where you see people pop up and listen to. And I've had emails from a guy in Oakland in California near you, Matt. And we've had uh, a guy called Ian Thompson who's emailed us from Auckland and New Zealand. And it's just incredible the the, the range of uh, um, sort of places that the podcast has been listened to. My, my biggest thing, and I'm just, just going to finish on this point, is I'm 36 years old now, so I'm getting on a bit. But when I when I started podcasting, Matt, I knew nothing about podcasting. I, I literally self-taught myself watching YouTube videos, downloading the software and, and sort of editing it and producing it and I mean it you know it was a bit scratchy to start with and uh, I think you know someone even called it professional the other day so I thought I've come a long way uh, you know, throughout, <laughs> the tw- throughout the turn of the season so yeah, nailed it. Yeah, exactly so I think it's just you know from a, a personal point of view not being a technical person the things I've learned this season being able to do it it's uh, uh, you know a feather in the cap. I always ask the guys that I that I talk to on my show because generally I talk I try to talk to somebody who writes a little bit about the team whether for whatever outlet it's not uh, you know not the not the Daily Echo or anything but um, I always ask them if if their work kind of changes the way they watch the match you know if, if does has doing the podcast kind of changed the way you guys kind of experience the, the matches or or is it kind of just the same and then you just talk about it? Uh, it, it it did a little bit you know what at first. Um... I kind of started trying to make notes whilst I was watching the matches. Um, but as we've got towards the business end of the season, it 
that's just gone totally out the window, just totally watching it from the fans' perspective again. Um, and I think, yeah, I guess like when there's not that much riding on it, you're really trying to look for something interesting from the match to talk about. But like games like Tuesday, there's so much emotion involved just from the fan. You haven't even got the time to think about how this might end up as a podcast. What about you, Matt? I think it did. And part of it was when I, when I first started watching Saints, which was only, you know, now I guess four years ago or so, uh, I didn't know that much about the sport. So I had a lot of kind of catch up to do. So I was constantly taking notes on, on positioning and watching, uh, you were watching YouTube videos on, on technical stuff. I was watching YouTube videos on like, you know, where the fullback should be and all this other stuff, just so I could say like, I think so-and-so was out of position. But, um, so for me, yeah, I, I, I take a ton of notes and, uh, I have friends who used to come over to watch matches with me and who now won't because they say, all you do is sit there and basically type notes the whole time, which is fine. Um, <laughs> Cause most of the time it's early in the morning and I don't really want to talk to them anyway. So uh, what, what about you? Yeah. I think the thing about saints is that life's never dull, is it? I mean, I, I, I find myself at the start of the season, you, you know, we had all of the, well, I won't name him, but the cloud, we had all the saga around the cloud, didn't we? And, uh, and those sorts of things. But I just, you know, I, I never find myself, uh, you know, I, I prepare for it. So I, I put, put notes together and think of the questions I want to talk to Adam about. But you never find yourself, as John said, you never find yourself scratching around for things with Saints. There's always something going on, uh, an up or a down. And, and uh, so it does make life uh, easier. So I, I think we've tried purposely to be constructive. I mean, we obviously, from our podcast point of view, have to understand that Adam has quite a close relationship with the the club so we're not going to grill them but I think he tries to be honest as well he's been critical of some of the board members he's been critical of some of the players so we try to be honest but I think from a a notes point of view we try to sort of let the podcast evolve a bit like you guys do you you never quite know what's going to come up or what people are going to ask you yeah well I was just going to mention you know Tom who's kind of my regular uh, co-host he never comes with any notes whatsoever (laughs) in fact he's always just finishing his work emails to about 10 seconds before I hit the record button so so he's got you know whatever I have written down as my agenda or the things I'm going to try and put out he always throws some extra bits and pieces into it or just Um, trying to practice saying do Zantadic for example yeah I know Uh, (laughs) but you know we've got a drinking game out of that now so yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> he's on to it though it's, it's not as much fun anymore <laughs> <laughs> um did you guys struggle with anything uh, this this season in particular kind of as as you were going through uh the, the season and i know for me uh, one thing was kind of it seemed for large portions of the season like i was asking the same questions getting the same answers uh saying the same things kind of week in week out uh did mm. you guys experience anything anything like that I, I think I, th- I think it's hard not to be in that situation, Matt. I, I think the thing for me, and, and again, it'd be interesting to get your two views on this, is is the motivation. Um, you know, you find yourself thinking, oh God, it's Sunday night again. We've just lost 3-0 at Newcastle. It was an absolute shambles. I've got to try and spend a, an hour, hour and a half talking to Adam about this. It's then going to take me two or three hours to edit it. And, all, you know, I'm, it's, it's time in my life I'm not going to get back. And I think that was the thing. It was trying to be committed enough through the season, knowing that as a football fan, there will be ups and downs. But yeah, I mean... I, I think that that was the real challenge. You just felt every week it was, oh God, we got to talk about another defeat, another poor performance, you know, those, those sort of things. And uh, it's nice, as we said at the start, to be able to now stand here, sit here, talking to you two and be able to sort of have some positive uh, light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, and, and picking up on your point there, Ben, and uh, of course we're saying the same thing over and over again, <laughs> because like, you know, the, the club just wouldn't wake up for ages and we kept mm. on trying the same thing over and over and over and over again. You know, mm. of course we're going to say the same thing over again. 
you know, I'd sit here, I'd chat to Tom and be like, well, you know, this is what's gone wrong. You know, two weeks later, we'd sat here again. Well, it's exactly the same stuff that has gone wrong again. I mean, how, how many times have we said, you know, Cedric at the back post? How many times has it not been winning headers? You know, how many times has it been misfiring strikers? Yeah. I mean, yeah. If yeah. Saints had kept things, you know, a little bit more varied, yeah. maybe we wouldn't have said the same things over and over again. But yeah, I think it was inevitable with this season. And um, I think we're going to get onto this a little bit later when we get into the, the kind of meteor stuff in the podcast. But yeah, it was how we and everyone we spoke to about Saints could see something that our board couldn't for, mm. for such a long time was was very frustrating. Yeah. And made for some very repetitive podcasting as, as well, I'm sure. It, it, it did indeed, yeah. I, I was going to ask you too, I mean, uh, obviously we'll, we'll get into a few more questions, but in light of what happened with Saints in the end, and I was thinking about this yesterday, do you, do you think they, whilst they did take quite a while to, to change the manager, that in the end they actually just about timed it right, bearing in mind we built some momentum right at the right time there, or do, do are we all agreed that it was probably two or three months later than it should have been? Uh, I, I, I disagree with you on that one, Ben. Oh, it was a question okay. rather than it was a question rather than a comment. Oh, right. yeah, 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 okay. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you should have gone at Christmas. That's my view. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Well, in that case, I totally agree with you. You know, um, I mean, okay, because you can look at Swansea and you can say ultimately they've gone down, and for a while it looked like they certainly wouldn't. You know, Carvajal seemed to come in at the, at the right time, get them playing really well. I think they beat Arsenal and Liverpool back to back. And, you know, they flew up the table for a while. And then in the end, it's all kind of petered out. And they had the run-in that everybody wanted and they've ultimately failed to get over the line. Um, but I think Southampton have a better squad, better training facilities, you know, better technique. Uh, you know, amongst the, the players, you know, they should have been much much higher in the table. I mean, I think kind of the position that we should be is somewhere between sixth and tenth. Um, and I think if we changed the manager sooner, we'd have probably have had a comfortable mid-table finish. Yeah. What about you, Matt? I think, yeah, I think after Boxing Day, uh, he should have mm. gone. That that should have been yeah. it. Because it was, it was already, we had already been over the same talking points over and over and over. And then the players just didn't show up. And I was looking, I, I was saying most of the season, if we're not, you know, clear the relegation zone by March, we're not going to make it, you know? And I never, mm. it wasn't until after the Chelsea match, uh, not the, not the semifinal, but the, the Chelsea match at St. Mary's. Um, that was the first time I, I, to, I told myself and I said it out loud, like, I think we're going down. Like that was it mm. because I, I, I just didn't think we had it in us after a defeat like that. But, um, I think he could have done a lot more with the players through that run in March where we were playing teams around us. Um, that could have put us clear of the relegation zone way before Swansea wouldn't have been, been as big of a deal, you know, had, had we done it then, but, um, man, and maybe, maybe just the fact that they had that, that international break, right. When he came in to, to kind of work with the players, maybe, maybe that helps, but, but I'm not sure. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, for me, Boxing Day was the end of the line. When you think about all those fixtures we had through, uh, January and February that we then wasted to a certain extent Huddersfield at home and Brighton at home and uh, those, those sorts of games but uh, look, yeah my, my view is very much that he did well to last as long as he did but yeah in, in line with John's comments Swansea had a bit of momentum but at the wrong time of the season and then lost five games six games at the end of the season whereas we just about got over the line by getting those eight points from the four games uh, in the end so I think we're all just grateful that in the end they did make a decision and swallowed their pride a bit but uh, it could have been uh, messy otherwise couldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, Matt, because uh, you mentioned that it's that game against Chelsea when you thought, right, that's it. 
Saints are going to go down, how are we going to bounce back from that? But actually, as the games against Arsenal and Chelsea that made me believe that we might just be able to do it. Um, and, you know, I, I went to the game at the Emirates and it was great. You know, having come off the back of those th- two awful 3-0 defeats um, you know, with uh, Newcastle and West Ham where we were absolutely abject, that game at the Emirates, we showed enough that, that we had kind of like enough quality, enough fight and drive that we could you know, against weaker opponents get the wins that we needed. And the same against Chelsea, you know, the, the eight minutes was disastrous. But I think, again, you know, you could, you could see that we had it in us from, the, from those two losses in a weird way. Just, I think it was just the fact that we basically scored two goals in each game against decent opposition. I think the only reason I, I, I questioned it after Chelsea was that that was the first time we had ever really seen how well I think the team could play. Like that was, they were, they were starting to kind of click and put it together. And yet it still wasn't enough. And I just wasn't sure that the team would be able to kind of tell themselves and pick themselves back up and say, oh, we can do this again. We're going to get up and and, and do it again. And um, I have to credit, I think Mark Hughes with with all of that, with just being able to motivate the the guys and say, you know, well, you know, here are all the positives from what we just did. We we made some mistakes here and now let's go out and do it again. And, you know, well, I think without that going into, into Swansea, without him kind of whatever he did talking about dark arts and everything else. I think without that, I, I don't think we're, we're sitting here in the, in a kind of decent mood that we're in right now. I think we'd be a, a little bit more dour. You're right. I mean, I think you think of the Chelsea game. I mean, it was, it was how many times they could pick themselves up again from managing to throw games away. And uh, even the Everton game, I mean, we were all gutted by that. All of us, you know, heartbroken that they could let a goal. But you saw Hughes, he was on the pitch. He was grabbing them by the scruff of the neck. You know, get your heads up. Come on. He knew they had a massive game on the Tuesday. And I, I think he deserves a massive amount of credit for, for me, he's united the club in terms of bringing the players back with the fans and the fans back with the players. And whatever happens now with him and the job, which obviously we're waiting to find find out at time of recording you know from a, a managerial point of view there was lots of people saying I remember Mark Schwartz saying on the debate when he first got the job the debates at Sky Sports show over here Matt saying he wasn't a, a, a you know he expected Hughes to be this tough character and when he was in the changing room at Fulham he was nice and quiet and gentle and you wanted to see a bit more fight and spark from him his nickname Sparky after all but for me he's done a, a fantastic man management job and I think that's one of the reasons that they have got over the line he's, he's lifted these players and made them believe yeah I'm totally with you on that Ben and um, one of the things that we were questioning in our kind of slightly intoxicated state on our Tuesday <laughs> podcast um, was if, if it was the kind of altercation between Mark Hughes and Boo Fowl that actually kind of was, was part of the, of the kind of the, the turning point in the season. Um, you know, and there's a few kind of key moments where Hughes has just absolutely got it right and made the right decision and, and given that fire. So, I mean, there was not accepting Buffal, um being Buffal, you know, loads of talent, but ultimately, well, we've all seen what he can produce on the pitch and we've all seen what he can do when he can't be bothered. Um, and there's also kind of, if you think about the game against Swansea when Bednarek was knocked out and Hughes could have made a decision there. He could have brought on McQueen earlier and he made that decision to bring on uh, Gabbiadini, which was a high risk thing to do. And that, those kind of like two two things, and then obviously using the kind of bus incident and the hotel incident all to fire up the players, just show the sort of leadership that we've been absolutely lacking. Mm. Um, you know, we've sold all the leaders on the pitch. Um, 
you know, I was, I was very lucky to be invited to meet uh, Maurizio Pellegrino earlier on in the season. And he was a really, really nice guy, but he, he didn't come across as a leader at all. Mm. And that is just what the players needed. They just needed someone to kind of bring them all together and push them in the same direction. And Hughes just absolutely did that. He has leadership in buckets, as far as I can see. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, I don't know. The Stoke fans seem to absolutely hate him. And, and maybe if we does stay for a few years longer, we might end up in that position. But at the moment, you, you look at him and he's brought all the things that we've been lacking um, at the business end of the season and just got us over the line. What would you do with a managerial job now, Matt? Would you give it to Hughes or would you be looking for someone else? You know, I think I think he's earned a shot. And I, and I wasn't totally convinced when, when, we, when we hired him. And that was mostly speaking to Stoke fans, Man City fans, people who weren't really impressed with it, with his track record. And, and I think uh, I did an episode where I kind of tried to talk to a bunch of different people about, about that. And, and I got really mixed kind of feelings because it seems like a lot of Saints fans were really happy with him. And, and to be honest, like kind of deep down, I, I was, I, he, he seemed like the kind of guy that would just wake everybody up. Like he wasn't going to put up with, with some of the antics that we had seen elsewhere. And you just kind of think back to the summer, had he been in place, you know, how does, uh, how does Van Dyke, how does that situation go? You know, what, what's the conversation between Hughes and Van Dyke versus the conversation that happened between, uh, you know, Pellegrino and Van Dyke or Puel and Van Dyke. But, um, yeah, I think, I think he has to be given, given, uh, some, some time now to, to, to truly try to develop the, the guys and, and maybe bring in a couple of players. And I am a little worried if you look at kind of what happened with Stoke, he bought some superstars that didn't really work out and the team doesn't really seem to to gel. And they were kind of at each other a little bit, talking about each other uh, immediately after relegation. So I'm a little worried about him in the transfer window. Um, but seeing as how Les Reed doesn't like to spend money anyway, um, maybe we don't <laughs> want to worry about it so much. But uh, I th- yeah, I think he needs some time. And uh, are you in the same boat or you think we need to go a different direction? I, I agree with you. I, I, for me, Mark Hughes wasn't an inspiring choice when we, we first um, hired him. And uh, he's always been one of those managers that I've found frustrating because he just blames everything. He blames officials. He blames decisions. And uh, actually, he's completely turned me around. And uh, I know he's only, only been with us eight games. But as I mentioned earlier, I feel that he's united the club to a certain extent. And he didn't have to do, you know, his job was just to keep us in the Premier League. It wasn't necessarily to pull everyone together. I, I, I think the two things for me, that would be the reason that I would give him the job, Matt, was we need an element of stability at Saints. We've we've not had that the last two or three years. We've had a, a churn of players, a churn of managers. You know, we've now got a manager that wants to be here. Um, and the second thing is that the players seem to have bought into him. And, um, you know, as John mentioned there, players like Dusan Tadic, you, you know, you hear him talking about what the manager's done, the fact that he's got the best out of him. You know, what, what hard work is that going to undo if they now say, look, Mark Hughes isn't the man that we want. We're going to bring in... Joe Blog, so to speak, and and then all of that work that he's done in building these players up and getting the best out of them. And I know it is the end of the season, but they would come back with a bit of a spring in their step, I think, to pre-season and be ready to hit the ground running next ne- next year. So I don't know about you, John, but for me, he'd be the man that I'd give the job. Yeah, I, I think you have to really. I think he's he's done the job that um, was has needed to be done, and you know you can only kind of judge a person by what they've done in your presence, you know, in your club. Mark Hughes, he totally gets it. Um, you know, based on that, he had kind of one major task, um, and not only has he got us, you know, we haven't survived like just survived. He's actually got the players playing together. They're showing a bit of passion. Um, you know, under Pellegrino, there were times when we were into games quite late against some of the big sides, and we could have nicked more points, and perhaps we were unlucky with a few um, very last-minute goals. 
and a couple of refereeing decisions. But despite all of that, he never really felt the togetherness with Pellegrino's team. And I think with Hughes, he, he's, he's got that and it's important. And you know what, his, his record at Stoke, okay, so it kind of went to pot a little bit in his last season, but uh, in this season, sorry, but the three seasons before that, he finished ninth. And to be honest, I, th- I think kind of ninth sounds quite attractive to me right now. I- I'd take a ninth next season. I'd probably take a ninth the season after that. And then maybe, you know, after a couple of years of consolidating, getting ourselves together again, you know, hopefully starting to bleed a little bit of um, youth through from mm. from the kind of like under 23s, under 21s and under 18s and pick out some of those kind of bright stars that we've all been talking about we've seen a couple of like little flashes in, in Premier League or um, you know, League Cup games it'd be nice to kind of like build a bit of momentum in the right direction again mm. it, I think you know for Puel it was always going to be hard coming in after Kuma because that last season with Kuma was was just absolutely fantastic um, and but you know we've, we've sunk as far as we can go in this division we can't go any lower in this division without getting relegated so you know, let's start pushing the right direction. I, I think, you know, you've got to give Hughes the chance and his record's all right. Uh, yeah, I agree. He's, he wouldn't have necessarily been the world's most in, inspiring choice. And obviously if Southampton have the next uh, Mauricio Pochettino kind of waiting in the wings to take over, um, I'm sure we're, we'd all be delighted with that. But, you know, we're all pretty disappointed when Atkins got sacked. Um, yeah, we, we don't know everything as fans and, you know, but, but let's see. But I think, you know, the board haven't made the right decision with the manager for the previous two times. And so it's nice to see them get, get things right with the ease. I guess, I guess what I was, what I'm, what I was thinking about, Ben, is you mentioned that it was uh, coming towards the end of the season and he was able to motivate them. And, and I guess my question is like, will he be able to do that? Do you think he'll be able to do that again? And I think you said yes, but John, like what, what do you think? Do you think Hughes can do it? Or do you think he just had kind of all of the, you know, you're coming in after a, a coach that kind of nobody liked, you can use that. You can use the fact that, uh, it, it's towards the end of the season and you're, and you're going to be relegated. Uh, it, can, do you think he can do it in a, in a full season? Um, yeah, I, I think he can. Um, you know, a full season is a different prospect from like eight games of relegation battle, you know, where you're going into every game like it's a cup final. Um, you also got to think, you know, some of the players are going to be going to the World Cup. They're going to have an amazing time. I think as a professional football player, if you get to play in the World Cup, you know, that's that's the peak of most players' careers being taken to a tournament. And some of them will do very well. Decent Tadic generally does very well uh, when he plays for Serbia. Um, Maya Yoshida is a fantastic player in the Japan squad. You know, he's, he's a high-quality player in, in that squad. So, you know, I think there's going to be some players coming back from the World Cup. They'll be feeling kind of quite motivated from their experiences there, hopefully. I think Hughes will be feeling motivated. I think he's got a little bit of reputation rebuilding to do. Mm. Um, and I think Southampton's... A, yeah, it's a good prospect. It's been a terrible, terrible season, but the club is still a decent, decent club. I mean, what what are your thoughts, Matt? Yeah, I agree. I think I think he can do it. Um, I you know always going to have some questions, um, but but I think he's earned the at least the the shot to do it now to to have a, to have a shot at the full season. And and like Ben said, we need a little bit of stability. We have we haven't had that, um, and he's got he's gotten the best out of some of the players that played really well. Um, under Kumit, you know, uh, and I think specifically of, of Tadic in that he's been so much better since Hughes came in and a lot of us kind of wanted him out of the, out of the lineup. And I, I have this romantic view of Tadic 
Uh, it ended yesterday with the uh, kind of march around the field when he decided to get almost completely naked. I think I'm over it now, but like, um, just I have this kind of romantic. I think that enhanced a lot of people's romantic view of him. Fair enough. I mean, uh, but uh, he, uh, you know, I don't know. I just, I just think back to him and Pella, kind of, kind of linking up and him being creative and and just watching him the this these past few games just not be afraid. I think is when he scored he scored those two goals. He just wasn't scared. He wasn't afraid to to push and. Even if he makes a mistake, you know, I, I just was really impressed with that. And so if he's going to get the best out of those guys, um, I think that's what you need to win games. And you just kind of, you know, hope that the three center backs can just hold it together a little bit. And hopefully they develop uh, another year and they, they get a little bit better. And if Alex McCarthy can come up with a big save, you know, every couple of games, I think I think that, that that'll that'll push us farther up the table. What, what about Alex McCarthy, Matt? A deserved winner of player of the season? Yeah, yeah. A little... Uh, you know, weird to 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 have a player of the season for a, a player who only played half, but I think without him, some of those saves that he made, I think we're down. You know, I think he came up big. He's not a, he doesn't come off to me like a when you, when you hear him talk, he's kind of soft spoken and uh, kind of polite. Um, but it's different than when he's out there on the pitch and he's going and actually claiming crosses and doing that stuff. And you know, all of the things that I've heard you talk about kind of a, a, a people that are supposed to do as a goalkeeper is kind of communicate and do those things. Uh, Forrester never really seemed to do that. And uh, for, for McCarthy to do that um, and come up big in, you know, you think about the Everton game, he made that, he made that big save. Uh, you think about, um, was it the, the Bournemouth match that he made those kind of three kind of big saves yep. without those, I, we're done, you know, we're gone. It doesn't matter the Gabby Dini scores that goal or not, you know? Um, but, but John, how do you how do you feel about about him being awarded that that that, that award? I, I mean, I, I think he deserves it. Um, I mean, are we going to give our own player of the season and stuff like that? Because I, I, I want to throw in a more controversial one. But, um, it, John. Just, just just on McCarthy first. Um, I mean, I don't know how into XG you guys are, but I was uh, pouring over my XG table again um, this evening and. Yeah, the club who have the best goalkeeper in the league, in my opinion, are Manchester United. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the expected goals against, they should have conceded 15 goals more this season than, than they actually did. So that's, you know, it's 15 saves that you wouldn't expect a keeper to make that, that De Gea has made, which is incredible. And Southampton, you can imagine when Forster um, was with us, you know, we, we were letting in more goals than we really should have done. Um and in the end, I think it's come up, come up to around about nine goals more than we should have conceded based on our goalkeeping performances. But I think McCarthy kind of basically kept it flat from there. But what I think Alex McCarthy has done is he's come into the team and he's performed as a good goalkeeper or as you would expect a good goalkeeper to perform. I think Forster's confidence was so shot by the time he was actually pulled out of the team in the end that, you know, anything by comparison was, was going to look better. And, um, you know, on top of that, I think McCarthy has kind of got better and better as the season has gone on. And as the whole team has got better in the last eight games, he's been absolutely fantastic. And he's pulled out some absolutely top draw saves, which you're right, they've kept us in it at really, really key points. But that's what your goalkeeper's there for. He's supposed to keep you in it at absolutely key points. And it is, it is great to have him in there. Um, for my controversial uh, choice of player of the season, it's actually going to be Dusan Tadic. Um, Adam Adam Leach suggested that as well, John. Yeah, did he? Okay. Yeah, he did. Yeah. That was his player of the season. Yeah, 
I think Deuce Santadic is a very, very frustrating player to watch. And, you know, I was at St. Mary's a couple of times early on in the season. I was pretty frustrated with him. But I've never thought we should sell him. And I've never, I've never been one of those ones which has like, absolutely loathed him. You know, he's frustrating because you know he's brilliant. Um, and sometimes he doesn't perform. But he is the player in our squad at the moment who is most capable of hurting other teams and even when he's not playing particularly well he still sometimes pulls out you know amazing crosses or passes or vision that create chances um, and if you look at all the games pretty much that we've won this season he's, he's had a contribution in them and I, I just don't think you can ignore that I think if we didn't have Dusan Tadic in our squad we absolutely definitely would have gone down this season there was an interesting um, stat I saw. I know you're uh, close to the Opta guy, John. Um, they uh, put a picture out yesterday, Opta did, on the created chances in open play since 2014-15. So I don't know if either of you saw this, but um, Eden Hazard was top with 324. Mesut Ozil second, 293. Christian Eriksen third, 285. Alexis Sanchez, 272 chances created. Fifth was David Silva, 249. Number six, Dusan Tadic, 228. So ahead of the likes of Cesc Fabregas, Raheem Sterling, Kevin De Bruyne, people like that. So I think that just goes to back up your point that he does create chances. And, and not only that, Adam Lallana, he was the player that he replaced Who? in Southampton. Never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, he's such a useful player to have in the side. So, I mean, he's, he's my player of the season. He doesn't really deserve it because he hasn't had an amazing season. He hasn't even had his best season for Southampton. But... To me, he's the player who's been the, the, the most important player for Southampton this season. How about you, Matt? He's your number one. Well, I mean, I, I have to, I've said it before, like I, I really liked Tadic. And last year he was my, um, we worked with the ugly inside. He was my like biggest disappointment, basically, because of, of the, the level that he performed at last, last season based on the season before. Uh, but like you said, he, he is so, so talented. He is so, so good. And he really is... The, the guy that's going to kind of push us to win games, whereas McCarthy is going to keep us from losing, I guess. And, uh, but for me, I don't know. I still, I don't know if I can give it to Tadish just because he didn't, I, I know how good he can be. And I know at times he was that good, but he just, I don't know. I think I still have, would have to give it to, to McCarthy, I think. And Ben, Ben, who's yours player of the season? So, so yeah, I, I did vote for Alex McCarthy um, just because of everything we've mentioned. But look, if I had to give a shout out to one other player, I think it would be, uh, and I'm sure Lucy's listening, so I'm going to try and pronounce this right. It would be Pierre Emil Hoybier. Um, for for me, he's just epitomizes what you want to see as a fan in that he just gives 100% every time he plays. He isn't the best player technically. I mean, his shooting's probably worse than mine, to be honest with you. But uh, um, I, I just think he's one of those players that he's earned his, his, his place in the, the, the team this season. And um, you can see him being a future Saints captain if he stays at Saints long enough. I mean, you saw his passion after the Swansea game. So I think you, you look at McCarthy, you look at um, Hoybier, you look at Tadic, even players like Prowse have had a half-decent season. But outside of that, there's not really a lot to shout about. So I think there is those two or three players, really, that just stand out above anyone else. And, and he would probably be the one player that I would say, if we had a, a most improved award, it would be him. I, I could get behind that. I could see. I, I would be happy with him winning kind of any award that was rolled out other than, you know, greatest accuracy in terms of shooting. Um, yeah. uh, because you look at, yeah. at the kind of effort that he puts in going up and down, uh, especially when he was playing alongside Romeu after Lamina was injured. Um, he's the guy that is getting up to support the attack and, and, and help because if Tadish is going further forward, somebody else has to kind of 
you know, provide that link and fill in that space. And he's always doing that. And he doesn't stop. And he's so young. And to hear him, even when he speaks after, after matches, after tough losses, he's the guy that was, that was on the microphone. And whether that's because, you know, they sent him to do it or he volunteered for it, however that, that works. Um, I, I think the way he spoke and things like that were, were very impressive. So uh, if he was going to get an award, I, I have no, I have no issues with that. Um, he just isn't maybe the, uh, the sexy player that, that, some of us would like to give, it seems like the offensive guys always win all the awards. Uh, so I think it was kind of nice to see the the goalkeeper and then, you know, kind of a holding midfielder get mentioned and, and then Tadic who has no clothes on. Yeah. That's, all, that's also. A good... <laughs> no. and, and just before we, before we move on to sort of um, answer some of the questions then, I, I think it would be good to, to get your views on the, uh, the board, Mr. Kruger, Mr. Reed, Mr. Gal, people like that. Um, obviously there's going to be a lot of chat around this week. John about sort of what's going to happen with them, but what have you made of the the board this season, and where do you think they sort of sit in terms of their role going forward? Well, I mean, this season they got it absolutely wrong. You know, there's there's no question that it was just mistake after mistake after mistake. You know, Pellegrino uh, was not the right appointment. You know, perhaps they'd seen things um, with his previous performances that, that, that they thought things weren't going to be like they were, but, you know, there were some people that aired a little bit of caution at the start of the season. They mentioned that Pellegrino, okay, whilst he had secured eighth, you know, with an underfunded side in, in La Liga, they'd only scored something like 40 goals in the season. Mm. So it was never going to be, you know, free-flowing attacking football, which is kind of the title that he was brought in under. So, I mean, that seemed to be the first major mistake. Um, sticking with him for so long was another really big mistake. Uh, how they dealt with the Virgil van Dijk situation, again, was a big mistake. Um, Ralph Kruger's interview around Christmas time, I think you can pick about seven or eight mistakes out in that one interview, calling us a small club, blaming it all on uh, Virgil van Dijk anyway, saying that they were going to stick with Pellegrino and they could see things were turning around. I mean, it was just littered with um, statements that you just do not make if you're kind of publicly heading up um, a club. You know, thankfully, um, they finally made the change. But but to be honest, I don't think they had any choice at that point. I mean, Ben, you you you, you live north of the border now, so you know probably that Newcastle game's your, your closest uh-huh. Southampton fixture. You were there. I yeah. Mean, yeah, I mean, it's a that, bit like Matt. Awful. Well, it was a bit like Matt. I mean, we both sat through absolutely dour 3-0 defeats <laughs> this season. The, the, the only advantage for me, Matt, is I disappeared down to have a beer about 30 minutes in and never went back up. But, uh, <laughs> no, I, I mean, you're, you're right, John. I mean, I just, you know, we look at football operations. I mean, Les Reed is obviously in charge of that. Football operations this season has been an absolute shambles. Now, I, I, I think Les Reed has done a lot of positive things for Saints over the last few years, but... Everyone has their um, their time when you, you sort of feel that you need a change. And he, he's obviously been hidden away by Saints. He's not been uh, willing. Again, I won't put words in Adam's mouth, but I think we all know that, that Les Reed has not been forthcoming in wanting to do any interviews with any of our local media. Kruger, as you say, I mean, it was an absolute car crash of an interview that he did. Uh, I think it was the early part of January, wasn't it? The day they played Crystal Palace. And uh, interestingly, you know, from what Dave Merrington was saying at the weekend, he's now not wanting to do any interviews either. So I think he's probably scared to to say anything. But it may well be that they just want to sort of see what happened at the end of the season, work out what their strategy is, what their plan is going forward. But for, for me, John, I, I, I think the concern is that and Adam Adam Leach made a really good point in his verdict today is that there was there was a really positive atmosphere around St Mary's yesterday. Everyone was behind the team and supporting and cheering as fans should do. Now, that was possibly the chance to really get the point across and say that we are 
okay that we've stayed up, but we want changes. Now, are they going to sit there? They were all there yesterday. We saw them all on the telly and uh, Krieger and uh, Lieber and Gao was there. And uh, are they going to think, well, it seems okay. Everyone's happy. We've survived. We can just crack on and, and no one needs to take any accountability. And for me, Matt, that is the issue. I don't know about you, is that will people now accept that this has been a complete shambles, as John said, people need to take accountability for that. And if heads need to roll, then heads need to roll. Yeah, well, I think I think heads needed to roll after last season, you know, um, after the appointment of, of Puel, the kind of lingering around in the summer. And, and then I think getting rid of Puel was the right decision. Uh, I think the hiring of, of Pellegrino was was one of the big mistakes. And and John, you kind of nicely laid out the the other ones that they made that were kind of um, you know, the, the really big, big mistakes, Never mind all the little things that we didn't even hear about. They kind of probably slipped through the cracks and things like that. Uh, the, the transfer, the transfer, uh, market in January was, was not, was not a great one. Um, but yeah, I mean, now we're sitting here having just avoided relegation and we're all kind of in a good mood. Whereas last season, um, we finished, you know, was it eighth? in a cup final. And, and we were, we were pretty upset. I mean, I think, I think Paul got booed on his, on his kind of lap of honor. So like, I, I think that whether that says something about our expectations or just the, that reality of the situation is we're just kind of relieved, you know, we're not, I don't think we're happy. I think we're relieved that we, we yeah. survived, you know, and we're thankful that we survived. But I think if we're in the same situation next year, even if we stay up, I don't think people will be nearly as uh, forgiving. And um, I, at least, you know, what you hear on Twitter might not always be the, the proper kind of, um, diagnostic, but a lot of, there aren't very many people who are, are, are pro Les Reed and, and Ralph Kruger, you know? I mean, if, if I may kind of, um, make a point on this, I think the most important thing is if they've learned their lesson and they do something different, then, then they may be forgiven. But I mean, the thing that concerns me is, um, you know, the, the article which Sam Wallace put out in the Telegraph recently, which is a newspaper, which is quite close to the, the, to the club. Um, Jeremy Wilson used to work with uh, Adam Leach at the Daily Echo, and he has a good relationship with the club and, and the Telegraph too. And with that, they were saying, oh, you know, we're really pleased with the signings of Joyberg and uh, Bednarek and, and stuff. And it sounds like they're already just trying to put a positive spin on things. Um, but actually, that's not what we want to see. I think if Les Reed and Ralph Kruger came out had a statement and said, look, we made some mistakes this season. We've learned from them um, and it's not going to happen again. Then you can maybe get away with, with, you know, not firing one or, or two of them or, or either of them. And you, you can, you can actually push on and you can, you know, point to the previous successes. So we've learned a lesson and we're going to build from that. But if they, if they don't acknowledge that this season was a failure, then, you know, whether that's their own arrogance or they genuinely believe that they've made the right decisions this season. I mean, who knows? See, for me, I, I think not to contradict what I just said, but, you know, we were talking earlier about the manager and stability. And I think sometimes as a fan, you can want too much too soon. Um, you know, Reed and Kruger have not impressed me this season. I think it is imperative that, as we say, there is a accountability lies somewhere. And, and you know, someone needs to make sure that they are, are willing to change their Mentality. I, I think the, the issue as well, John, is are we now just a profit business or uh, as in we're just going to sell players and try and finish 17th or are we actually going to try and push forward again? And if we are going to do that, then we need to invest. We need a clear strategy. The, 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 the flip side of it is if we start piling everyone out so we get rid of the manager, then we let Reed go, then we let Kruger go, we're suddenly left with Mr. Gao, a, a limited infrastructure of people mm -hmm. there that know how the club thinks and operates. So, my, you know, I think my heart says one thing. My head probably says, actually, you're spot on, John. Let's give them another chance, give them a chance to sort of 
work out this summer what they're going to do, stick with their their strategy. They're obviously doing a lot of work in in trying to build the the, the relationship with China, but. Are we, you know, if we get rid of them, are we then sort of creating more of a problem for ourselves over the longer term? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That that is that is probably the the, the better thing to do. Whereas the the reaction from a lot of people is just, you know, they they made some mistakes and we hate them, so get them out. And if you kind of you know just hashtag read out, it it it, it you don't have to look very far to find a bunch of Southampton fans with that as their profile picture, even. So like, yeah. uh, it's just there there are some people out there who are never going to give them a chance, but. Um, that doesn't mean that that's necessarily the right decision. No, but I do think they, they need to justify their their actions for this season. So someone needs to talk to the fans at some point. And this is something that's become, you know, to me, I'm really annoyed about. I mean, we, we speak about Kruger's comments a few years ago about being open, transparent with their, in inverted commas, customers. They're not doing that now. They're hiding away because it's been a poor season. Someone needs to talk to the fans. Someone needs to say, this is our, our um, you know, this is what we're going to do. That that interview that John spoke about in uh, in early January from Kruger, he spoke about his Q1 pledges he was going to, um, you know, introduce. Where are they? We're, you know, we're, we're mid year now. I mean, nothing's ha- nothing's <laughs> happened with those. So, um, and and the other the other I was interested to get both of your views on is obviously Mr. Gao himself. I mean, I, I think I tweeted yesterday to sort of say that his lack of communication is both unsettling and slightly disrespectful to fans because for me, Saints have lost total, um, they disconnected with the local fan base in, in this, um, you know, project they have to try and take over the world. But what, what's your views on that? I mean, do you, do you, do you sort of feel that he's been right to take a backward seat or do you think Mr. Gow should have, um, you know, you know, been more forthcoming and talking to fans? I, d- I just have no idea. Uh, about anything about him, you know, apart from the fact he failed the Premier League fit and proper test the first time round, which is quite worrying considering that, you know, pretty much any oligarch or terrorist can pass that first time <laughs> round. Um, that, that was a little bit concerning. Um, yeah, just, just some sort of statement I think would, would be great. And I think we probably will see that this summer, you know, once the dust has settled, I think, I think we're going to hear from him this summer. If we don't, it's just totally bizarre and you kind of really question why on earth he's, he's got involved with the club at all. But um, I would expect that, you know, maybe um, Kruger and Reese said that don't go in saying all these kind of crazy promises whilst we don't know what the situation is going to be next season. But we do now. We're still a Premier League club. I'd, I'd fully expect some sort of communication coming from him in the next month. What about you, Matt? just watching him and you see him on TV, he looks like he has no idea what's going on. You know, he <laughs> sat there, he sat there between these two, you know, giant men. And th- there was a picture of him last night at the, at the awards banquet or, uh, you know, as it were recording this on Monday. So Sunday night's awards banquet and he's standing and he's shaking Alex McCarthy's hand. And he's just so, I, just, I was shocked at how, how tiny he was, you know, I'm not a big man, but like he is tiny, but he just, on TV, he just looks like he doesn't have a clue. And I think that might be the truth is Maybe that's why we haven't heard from him. Maybe he doesn't kind of, I mean, I'm sure he understands relegation and all that stuff, but maybe he just doesn't quite, uh, you know, kind of sitting down at St. Mary's going like, oh, oh no, this is what I, this is what I bought. You know, this is, this is, this is what I'm in for. And, um, I think it's going to take, I, I think it's going to take an overhaul in terms of, uh, some investment and some, some strategy going forward. Um, I have no doubt that they can sell tickets and, and shirts and everything else in, in China and in America and elsewhere. Um, as long as they remain in the premier league. But I, I think if we're going to actually, you know, do something in the Premier League, I think I think there's going to have to be some some serious uh, questions that have to be answered. Yeah, no, I, I think you're uh, you're spot on, and uh, it will be interesting. I mean, obviously, Saints uh, it's not been announced yet, but Saints are going to tour China um, in July, I think. So there's obviously going to be that 
relationship. So it'll be interesting to see what comes from that. But uh, yeah, for me, he needs to really sort of decide what his plan is for Southampton Football Club and communicate that to all of us because uh, we're keen to know. Guys, I think now is the time to move yep. on to our listener questions. Matt, I think you're at work. How long have we got you for? You've got another half an hour? Got a half hour, yeah. Okay, because we've got some really good questions from our listeners, so I think we should get stuck into them. I think we were just in, we were just enjoying the conversation. <laughs> but yes. I, know, I mean, this, this is the problem. Once you get us talking about saying, so I could record a 12-hour podcast if I needed to. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I think I think you're right though. So let's let's go ahead and, and do that. And you know, I, the, I think one thing yeah. that I've learned about podcasting is you're never going to cover it all. Like just when you think yeah. you did, you get off and you're like, oh, I, I, that's what I forgot. But um, yeah, yeah I, here's I, a good one. Yeah, I've, go ahead. I've got a good one to start us with. So this is from uh, at Saint Mike B. So thanks for your question, Mike. Um, right, you are the new manager of Saints FC and have been told you need to reduce the wage bill. Four first team squad players need to be moved on and the choice is yours. Who goes and why? Matt, let's start with you. Start with a tester. Four. Oh man. Um, well, Carrillo Buffal. Um first team players who I would I think Bertrand is gonna go. Not that I want him to, but I think he will. Um Forster. Yep. Fair enough. John? Um, I am going with, yeah, Buffal, absolutely. Um, let's just try and get as much money back for him as possible. Uh, Carige, he's one of those ones where you, I think you want to kind of get him out on loan, you know, and actually see what he's like. But, I mean, if we need to sell him, let's sell him. I don't think anyone would be too upset. Gosh, if they've got to be in and around the first team, does make it a little bit harder, doesn't it? Um, have we finally seen the best of Stephen Davis? I say this with a really, really heavy heart. Um, I don't know. Like, I never kind of look at the... I love Stephen Davis, and I was there in the most Stephen Davis performance of all time when he scored two goals against Tottenham at White Hart Lane, and it really, really hurts me to say that, but I think maybe his time has come. Uh, yeah, maybe Big Fraser. Mm-hmm. Although I'd love to see him back at his best. He was such a good goalkeeper before. So Ben, it's on you now. Yeah, no, I, I think you've took most of the boxes. I, I had, um, I actually have five, which is really bad, isn't it? But yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I, let's hear him. I could think of loads. So yeah. Um, no, I had, I had Stephen Davis for all the reasons you mentioned. I think he's been a great servant to us. 800 grand, I think we spent for him. He's been a fantastic value for money. Uh, Buffel, Carrillo, um, Forster, I, I, I kind of agree with you. I think if we can keep him at club and he can push McCarthy again and get his confidence back, then he can be a good goalie. But I think he's one of the top earners at Saints. And for me, McCarthy is the, the, the standout number one. Now, the other one I had is Cedric. Um, again, I, I think he's, he's done a good job for Saints, but I don't think he's irreplaceable. And, he made some comments earlier in the year that they uh, he'd obviously been discussing trying to move on last summer. I don't think he's the sort of player that we would necessarily miss. I don't think he's been great going forward this season. I don't think he's been great defensively. So um, I don't I don't dislike him, but for me, Cedric is another one that I think we could lose and probably replace with someone uh, pretty easily at right back. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. Yeah, um, if I if I can just say one thing, um, it, it's not that. Uh, we were kind of talking about reasons that you go. I think Buffal's just attitude. The fact that Carrillo can't score. It's our record signing. Can't do, can't seem to do anything. He just doesn't seem that good. 
Um, and I, and I, I kind of think I, it, it would be easier to lose Cedric than Bertrand, I think, but I, I, I have a feeling, and maybe it's just because people talk about it, that, that he might be looking to actually like move this summer. It seems like it comes up every summer, but uh, we'll see. So I don't know. I don't know. And the, the, um, the one thing, yeah, the one thing I just say on Korea, I, I know he's become a bit of a mock, um, you know, within the fan base, but I, I you know, I genuinely think he has tried a hundred percent when he has played after yes. that game at Newcastle. He was the only one that put himself around. So I know he's become this sort of character of being an absolute waste of money. And I think we're all agreed it was, but I wouldn't criticism. Uh, sorry. I wouldn't criticize him for his lack of effort. I think it's more lack of technical ability. Mm-hmm. For, for, for him, it's death by association, isn't it? He was exactly. Pellegrino's man and, and man, and nobody wanted Pellegrino to be here at the time. Um, what's quite interesting, kind of follow-up question from Charlie Hawkins, literally on this point, saying, why don't we seem to get the best out of our most talented slash creative players we've had in recent years? You know, thinking about Buffal, thinking about the record signings, how come we've had so many flop record signings, you know, when we do spend money on people like Gaston, like Buffal, um, you know, going back, what's the name of that Italian guy who why is it that these these players don't fit into Saints it's, it's a hard one I, I think obviously they've you know most of those players you mentioned there have come for big money so they've come with a reputation I, I think always um, it's hard to adjust to um, playing in a foreign country isn't it the, the Premier League is renowned for being tough and uh, um, and competitive and you obviously have to you know, we, we, there's that joke about playing away to Stoke on a cold February night and Tuesday and, you know, being up for it and those sorts of things. But well, I, we'll I think... We'll do that next season. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. Yeah. This is the season to <laughs> big on the signings. Yeah. We can no, get some creative players we like. Well, exactly. I mean, I think you, you look at Gaston, you look at Buffal, you look at Gabbiadini to a certain extent. They, they've got that element of laziness about them. But then you, you look at players that have done well here. You look at the Manes, you look at... Uh, some of the centre-backs that have moved on. So I, I think it is horses for courses. You, you, you obviously, with Saints go on about this black box and um, and uh, you know, this wonderful data um, storage site that they have that's um, analysing players right around Europe. I guess it's like any football team, isn't it, that uh, you're going to get some players that fit. You look at the recruitment at Stoke, you know, again, we're talking about Stoke, but some of the players they've signed, not, very few of them are clicked. So... It's a hard one to answer, Charlie. I mean, there's no easy um, option. I think you're just either going to get a player that is keen to come in and prove themselves because they, they will use club as a uh, Saints as a, as a bounce club, but you're also going to get some players that want an easy life and they're going to come and expect to just um, succeed without really trying. So I'm sure they all have their reasons why they do it. But um, who understands modern footballers? I don't, certainly. So uh. I think that part of it, at least in, in recent years, is I think you look at Gabby Dean, you look at the system he was kind of brought into uh, the injury kind of hampered him and took all the wind out of his sails, but um, it doesn't. None of our attacking players have done well the past couple of seasons, um, I, and I think simply that that is uh, down to kind of the system and, and the mentality that that both of our our man our previous managers kind of um, had. You know, uh, I can't speak to guys like like, like Gaston and stuff like that because uh, it was a different system, and they that was something that I think a lot of our attacking players now would have would have thrived in. You know, you think of. Redmond might have been really, really good uh, under somebody like uh, either Pochettino uh, or or Kuman. Just uh, his ability, his pace, and uh, maybe a little bit of work on you know actually hitting the target and things like that. That would have been great. But like, um, I think the the system that we we've, we've instilled kind of over the past two seasons has has largely kind of restricted a, a lot of our more creative players, and um, I think that has has contributed to them just kind of becoming. And disenchanted uh, with, with the entire experience of, of being on the South Coast. 
Right, Lucy asked the question, so bearing in mind she uh, put the uh, the podcast together pretty mm -hmm. much, we should probably make sure we uh, um, ask it, even though she didn't use the hashtag, so she should be uh, disqualified, really. But there we go. So, <laughs> Producer Lucy. Um, right, so, well, exactly, yeah. So Lucy asked, who would be your top transfer target for Saints this summer? And if you're going to dodge naming specific individuals, which position? John, start with you on that one. Uh, you know what? I mean, Sessignon, he's been so exciting. Mm. I'd, I'd love to see him come in. Um, Fulham left winger I think he could be kind of Mane-esque um, but to be honest I think we maybe have waited a little bit too long for him we perhaps could have brought him in in January um, but I, I imagine most of the big teams will be alert to him but, but he, he would have been my number one target Matt what about you anyone particular um, well going with the same position and, and I think we're in the same spot with with Promise, uh, or Promise however however you pronounce it, I think he's going to be now looked at by, by a number of clubs and we may not be able to compete, but I think it's, same, it's kind of same thing. Uh, you know, lots of pace can score some goals. Um, and I hate to say that because Redmond has looked decent out there the past few weeks, but he just seems still seems so raw. And like, I think we would be getting a better player in, in either Sessegnon or Promas uh, versus Redmond, which doesn't mean that I, I dislike Redmond or anything. I just, I think those players would be, would be better. Um, and, I don't know, but I also worry uh, a little bit about the center forward position. If Gabbiadini goes, um, if Austin, if we're relying on Austin as our number one uh, to stay fit, I think that's that's an issue. Um, if his backup is Carrillo, I, I have an, I have an issue. So uh, maybe maybe center forward, but uh, if I had to, if I could pick just one and make sure we got him, I would say Promise. For me, um, I, I, I agree with what John said earlier. We're lacking leaders right across the pitch. So anyone that we can sign that can bring that sort of leadership into the team would be good. Centre-back position, I think, is somewhere that we need to strengthen. But I, I've got two players, actually, two, two different positions. One of them is um, quite glamorous. The other one's not. So Kieran Tierney at Celtic, left-back, um, really, really good player, a bit like Sessegnon. If Bertram moves on, and you know, I'm a fan of Matt Target. He's a Saints fan, so for me... He'll always have that bond and that passion to play for us. But I think if we could get Kieran Tierney from Celtic, obviously he would be looking at moving on from uh, Saints to bigger things. But a couple of years, he's very attacking forward. Um, the other one, this is going to sound so unsexy, but I'd really love us to try and sign Sam Vokes. And I know everyone's probably going to switch off about now, but he's one of those, he, he's one of those players that he'll, he'd offer us something different up front. He's a big physical striker. He loves a header. Um, so you know, similar to Charlie Austin, but he tends to keep himself a bit more fit and he's a Saints fan so we know that we've seen him at Anfield cheering on Saints so he would he would he would play with him his heart on the sleeve so I think if we'd gone down to the championship and I was head of recruitment he would have been someone I've been trying to, to look to, to bring in so he's maybe more of a, a championship striker but yeah Sam Vokes is someone that I've uh, I've always admired I think he just um he just puts himself around and gives you something a bit different out there I know Tom Parker would be with you there just because it would give him more opportunities to tell the anecdote about his mum knowing Sam Vokes' mum, Penny Vokes. So, you know. Uh, <laughs> there you go. That's, that's meant to be. Enough for him, but yeah, no, I, I, see, I see where you're coming from with Vokes, actually. Um, and maybe Vokes is the player that we should have got instead of Carrillo. Um, but yeah. Mm. All right. So how many transfer targets could Matt target target if Matt Target could target, target transfer targets. Target, target transfer targets. Yeah. Well done, Matt. Good Thanks, thank you, George, for that. And that leads us into uh, a question kind of about Matt Target. Um, although, George, I struggled to find that because you did not use the hashtag. We're going to keep calling everybody out who didn't because it's, it's fun. Um, but uh, a guy by the name of uh, Great State, he's at great underscore state, said, which player or players out on loan do you want to come back into the squad uh, for next year? And, and Ben, we'll, we'll go to you first. 
Um, is there is there a guy out on loan that you would want to come straight back into the team and maybe uh, have a starting position? In short, there isn't. Um, I, I don't think there's anyone that's out on loan that is good enough to break into our first team at the moment, but that probably says more about our academy, to be honest with you. But um, the one player I do love, and I've loved him ever since he first started playing for Saints, is Harrison Reed. Um, he's, he's just he's just a little midfield terrier. He gets himself around. He gets uh, you know right in the face of players. I remember him making his debut at uh, I was at the game when they beat Everton three 0 and Koeman kind of had to throw him in because every, everyone else was out injured or suspended. Um, mm. he, he'd be the one. Player player that I think could actually make it in the Premier League. Um, you think about Matt Target, obviously he's an easy one to pick. You look at Sam Gallagher's of the world, but then other players that are out like Ryan Seagar, for me, they're just never going to be Premier League players, unfortunately. So Harrison Reed would be the one player that I think would uh, I'd really like to see back in the squad because I think he does provide a lot of energy. What about you, John? Yeah, I, I like Harrison Reed. I mean, what's quite interesting about this question is um, when we had the stats guy from a uh, Opta, Duncan Alexander onto the on the show, he, he revealed this amazing stat about Jordi Classy having the highest win percentage out of all the kind of current Saints squad in, in terms of Saints team. Um, but funny enough, I would never, you know, I don't think we've particularly missed him. Um, I think he just happened to be here at a time when we were particularly successful. Uh, but it, interesting, you know, that that is the case. But yeah, I, I kind of think Ben's right. I think the players that we've got out on loan are out on loan because they're not good enough to be in the in the first team. Um, I think what might be a more interesting question would be which youth player would you like to see break yeah. into the first team next season? Yeah, I, I, can, I can start with that one. I, I'm, I'm a massive fan of Jake Hesketh, and I'm not just saying that because he follows me on Twitter. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, no, Jake Hesketh, um, I think he's a fantastic little talent. The, the problem he's had is he constantly gets himself injured, but Cumin gave him a bit of a chance. He got absolutely kicked to shreds up at Burnley a couple of seasons ago, I'm sure you remember. But whenever you see the under-23s and the under-21s under sort of 21s play, and he is one of those players that just seems to look a class above, um, I, I think he could be a fantastic player if he's given a chance. He's still quite young, um, but I think he's got undoubted ability. He's a real sort of little playmaker in, in, in the hole, um, and I think he's he's a fantastic talent. So for me, John, it would be uh, Jake Hesketh. And how about you, Matt? I think Hesketh is great. Um, I did like the way I, I watched a few under-23 games this, this year. Uh, I did like the way that Jan Valery kind of performed. I could see him maybe making it, but I'm not sure he's there for next year. He's maybe maybe a, a few years away, but uh, I wouldn't mind seeing him get get a few chances, uh, similar to how uh, Kuman gave Hesketh a, a run out a couple of times. I wouldn't mind seeing that. Um, I've just been kind of really impressed with with his work rate and uh, his ability on the ball and his kind of uh, maturity for for being so young. Yeah, um, I can totally see that. I, th- I think Hesketh is is definitely the one. I think probably in, in terms of uh, players who've kind of come through, I, I still want to see Josh Sims more. I just want to see more of him. Every time he comes on the pitch, he makes me excited. Um, and I think he's, I'd love to see him and Hesketh both kind of starting to, to kind of be in and around the first team. And also, Michael Obafemi, he had a pretty good 10 minutes against Tottenham Hotspur, I thought, at St. Mary's. And then, you know, that was it for him. But I'd quite like to see a little bit more of him as well. He looks like he could be quite a handy, pacey um, option up front. Right, the next one, at um, H underscore Tizard. So I'm assuming Harry Tizard, bearing in mind it says Harry next to it. And uh, good on Harry, he's used the, uh, the hashtag, so well done Harry, Boney, brownie points for that. Um, due to this season being so poor for Saints, how much do you think it will impact to the quality of player 
we will be able to attract this summer. What do you reckon, John? I mean, you said earlier Saints are still a quite an attractive proposition. I would have thought. I, th- I, I think they are, you know, and I think. I mean, what, what's quite interesting is that agents were starting to um, throw their toys out of the pram a little bit after the Van Dyke thing. You know, when Saints tried to hold on to Van Dyke and they said, well, you know, the agents like to bring players to Southampton because they know they're going to get another transfer again in another couple of years. So, you know, there's a lot of money to be made. The players get their stepping stone. I think we're probably going to go back to using that as our way of advertising. It, it doesn't look like we're in the position to break into the top six. So I think realistically... Most players, if they haven't had an opportunity to play in the Premier League, would be very attracted to come to Southampton, get a chance to show off their talents and then hope to to make the the step up. So I don't think it's going to make much difference uh, in terms of our recruitment. I think players who want to kind of use Saints as a stepping stone will still be very interested in coming. And it's a well-trodden path and I expect that path to continue to be trod. (laughs) What what about you, Matt? I guess the managerial situation probably plays a, a part in that as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think depending on the on, on the coach that's there and the and the management and and even all all the way the board level in terms of the the types of players we even will approach. But, um, you know, because a lot of the players that we're looking at are still getting into the shop window in terms of they're playing in either Europa League or Champions League in, in some instances uh, across Europe. But to really be, you know in the shop window for other Premier League clubs, which is where a lot of the money is. Because either, unless you go to one of these giants in, in other countries, you're not necessarily going to get the big transfer fee that, that you're looking for. Whereas a lot of, a lot of clubs in England can, can afford to pay that, even if it's, um, you know, sometimes people talk about the money eventually going away. But um, yeah, I think, I don't know. I, sometimes I, I, I think that people get upset because players kind of use us as a stepping stone. And then when they don't, when we don't have the players that are using us as a stepping stone, we just ridicule them for not being good enough. And it's, and it's this tough thing as a, as a supporter, because you're not sure, you know, uh, you know, I, I would like people to give us at least two or three years. Um, but sometimes you look at, at people who hang around and, and don't go anywhere. Um, you know, like nobody's coming in for, for Nathan Redman this year. And I hate to continue to pick on him, but like, you know, there, there is a reason that he's not, looking to go anywhere else right now, you know, whereas if we get somebody like Quincy Promas, he's probably a two year maximum player for us. And then he's going to go to, to one of the sides in the top six, unless we suddenly find ourselves there. And, and I think I'm okay with that. And, and so I think to kind of bring that to an end, I, I think if we are going to be okay with, with players coming in and then, and then eventually moving on, I'm not sure it really, really hurts us all that much because they're, they're going to be here to kind of show themselves to, to everyone else. And you just worry, you just have to worry about, you know, how much does that affect team chemistry and things like that? And do, will we have a Buffal situation or a Van Dyke situation and things like that? Can I pick out a question to ask you guys, which uh, I quite like to came in quite late. So you may not have time to prepare this one, but um, Jason Dickey, who's a fellow compatriot for you, Matt, and also came visited uh, us on the Saints SC podcast. He asked what effect, if any, does a great escape where the team and manager come together like this have on player retention. Does the poor season heavily outweigh the togetherness or does the emotional nature of the escape bind the team to the club? It's a great question. For me, you only have to look at the videos and the pictures from the last week to see what it's done for everyone. Um, I wasn't quite sure about them all linking hands and doing some weird Dutch celebration thing after the Swansea game, but... uh, for me, it has brought them all closer together. There's no doubt about that. I mean, none of us wanted to be in this position. They've had a really, really tough season uh, until Pellegrino's left. Um, 
In terms of player retention, you know, we've already heard Tadic saying that he'd be keen to stay with Mark Hughes' manager. Bertrand, I don't think we're we're so sure about. My understanding was that he didn't go to the Players' Award dinner last night. Um, I'm not saying that there's any um, speculation around that. He might have had other commitments. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I I think only only time will tell on all of that. But I I think when you look at the the closeness of the squad over the last week, so winning at Swansea and even yesterday with their lap of honour, unlike last season with Claude, where they were all coming out and drips and drabs and there was no real bond. Um, I think they are closer as a as a squad now for for what they've come through over the last few weeks. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with that. You go back to the to the Swansea game, not the linking hands portion, but the uh, the 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 kind of locker room celebration with Gabby Adini and kind of everybody is there to pick each other up. And I and, and there is something that happens when you are so close to to basically disaster and you manage to pull together something and, and get out of it. And I think that's what what Hughes was able to do is is just to kind of pull everybody together. And I think that will. I think there are some bonds there that that will kind of outweigh the 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 kind of negatives that went along with this with the season because the season's a long season and and you know uh, thinking back to like last October for those players they're going to remember kind of almost the here and now and, and how how they finished and what they what they went through and some of them won't some of them want to leave probably and, and will leave but I, I think there are enough of them that will kind of look at what happened at the end of the season look at. Uh, realize that every single player there was kind of fighting for each other. And I think that will, I think that should bring uh, the majority of those players back and willing to, to, to do it again. Yeah, I, I hope so. And um, to Jason, I reckon, you know, the one kind of example that we can pull out here for a team doing a great escape and then going on to have a quite a good season next season would be Leicester City. Mm. Um, is, is next season going to be the season that Saints win the title? <laughs> I, I'm gonna. I'm, well, I don't really want to sit on the fence, John, but I'm gonna say no. <laughs> I'm just. I'm just not gonna answer. <laughs> um, do Do we want to do one more? Is that okay? Yeah, let's do. I, I, I was going to ask actually, just just um, briefly. I know um, a couple of people had mentioned about the academy, so I, I think obviously uh, we can see what happens on that. But I, I I saw a great question from Caroline Emerson today. Um, Caroline is uh, c- certainly. Um, I know she listens to all of our pods, and Caroline, I think you've been a fantastic uh, committed listener to all three of us. So it'd be a great question to answer uh, uh, from the guys here. So the question was, um, why do we get so attached to a football club and go through a whole range? of emotions because of it in the short time i have been a saints fan i felt joy frustration anger tears yesterday humor and friendship it feels a bit like a family life um matt why do we put ourselves through what we do and why are we all saints fans i mean for me it it is as much about you two the the people that are that are the other supporters as anything else but something there is something about the club that just kind of draws you in and and i'm sitting here in california like really there sh- I should not be this heavily invested in anything, you know, outside of my family and maybe my work. And, and I was at work on Tuesday and Gabby Dini scores and I go running cause I have it kind of over this, over the speakers cause I was working and I go running over to the screen and then somebody kind of looks in my room and goes like, are you, are you crying? I'm like, no. And here I am a grown man and I am, I am that kind of elated and ecstatic over, over what, what the club is. And, and to be honest, I don't know when I, when I went from just being a fan, you know, just, just really enjoying watching the team play to, to having that kind of just ridiculous emotional attachment to the, to the club and to every aspect of it. 
Um, but it, there is something about the club, about the players, just just hearing a when the Saints go marching in at every away game, overpowering everything that the home or the the home fans are doing. You think back to to that that goal um, in in the semifinal uh, when Long scored uh, two seasons ago, and you just look at the faces in the crowd, and you look at the emotion that was there, and like it's it's really hard to not be kind of to look and go like, yeah, that's my club, and that's what I that's what I love so much about it. But um, so for me, I think that's it, and um, I, I don't know, I don't know if that makes me weirder or what. Not at all, not at all. John, what about you? I think that's a great answer, Matt. I think that's a great answer. Yeah, I, I mean. It's so great, Matt, because like it, the club has kind of connected people like you to me, and we've kind of sat and had a beer together, and you've met like loads of people you, you know, through, which which is fantastic. But I think also kind of Caroline's point, you know, it feels a bit like family life. For, for me, Southampton, it is family life. It's like my great granddad played for the club, so when I got interested in football, my granny kind of like pulled out these kind of photos and pictures of him kind of playing in 1901, 1902 season or something. Um, yeah. And that was amazing. And I went to games with my dad and my brother, um, you know, at some point I'm hoping to take my son to St. Mary's, you know, he's only three and a half now, but at some point this will happen. But then as well, it's not just family life. You've got all of your friends, um, you know, just on Tuesday night, being in a pub, a random pub in South London uh, with a group of strangers who you kind of feel like you want to kind of like hug and celebrate with and buy drinks for at the end of the night. I mean, that it's, it's just great. It's, it's a whole kind of experience, you know, it's family life, it's friends life, it's entertainment and drama and theatre and all of that all thrown into one. And, you know, it's, it's just wonderful. Why do we do it? I don't know. I think humans, we have all this emotion. I mean, we just go into the office and drudge through our days like nine to five. And to feel all of these emotions through one thing is just, there's something kind of deep within us that I think that desires it. Yeah. And I, and I think um, for me, I mean, it's it's my hometown. It's the, the name that is on my passport. I, I will always be a Southampton lad. You, you know, I made comments before on my podcast about we all have red and white blood cells for a reason. That's that's the reason that we do because we're we're Southampton fans. And a bit like you, John. I mean, my my great granddad was captain of the Calshot Tug. He used to pull the Queen Mary up and down Southampton Water. Matt, you and I spoke about that when I came on your pod at the start of the season because the Queen Mary is obviously now docked in Los Angeles. And for me, it's 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 our city. I'm I'm still proud of Southampton. I know it's it's had its uh, ups and downs as a city, but it's 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 in my heart. It's in all of our hearts, and you want to see the football team do well because of uh, of what it does to the city. And Adam and I were talking about this on the pod last week. If Saints had gone down, it would have meant a lot of money lost for the the businesses and around the city. So it is. We are a one club city. The Sea City Museum bought that home when I was uh, lucky enough to get invited to to that. Just you make it makes you realise how important Southampton Football Club is to the city of Southampton, and I think we are all emotionally drained. I mean, I, I've been through the ringer like all of us this season. I, I literally feel worn out from from sort of uh, the emotions of following Saints, and it has been like a, a soap opera. I mean, we have EastEnders over here, Matt. You've got what Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero or something like that. It's, uh, <laughs> it's 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 just been like that. I mean, it's just every week has been a roller coaster, and. Uh, I, I, but we wouldn't swap it, would we? I mean, it's, it's our football club, and you know, I'm proud that I'm a Southampton fan. I'm proud that I'm, I'm I follow the the team that we've seen them. You know, I've stood in the hail and the rain at Gillingham, watching them lose, and all those sorts of places. And it, that that's what makes the great times great when they come along. And 
you know, I never thought I'd get to go to Wembley and we've been three times in the last eight years to watch them. So I think actually compared to some clubs, I, I think many clubs would swap to be, um, you know, Southampton Football Club. And I think we're actually very lucky to be Saints fans. But are we going to win many things? Is it really about that? Who cares? You know, we're all Saints and we all do it because we... We love it. And um, as you as you quite rightly said, just to finish, I think uh, as a fan base, you, you'll go some way to find a, a fan base that is more connected than Saints fans, I think. Absolutely. I, I know we don't like to kind of mention Liverpool on Saints podcast, but I think Bill Shankly absolutely nailed it when he had that quote. You know, some people think football is a matter of life and death. I don't like that attitude. I can assure them it's much more serious than that. And I think, you know, it's weird. But for us, it, it really... I think it, it does mean an awful lot more. You, know, you go through your life and your football team kind of stays the same the whole way through, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, certainly, um, certainly say thanks to everyone for, for sending their questions in. And obviously, apologies, we didn't get to uh, ask uh, answer all of them, but I'm sure we can this time next season. Yeah, looking forward to it. And, and we'll all be back next season. So, you know, and... and... I think we'll all be around during the summer in some one way or another via Twitter or whatever. But I think it's all of us need to kind of decompress a little bit um, and, and just kind of rejuvenate. And uh, I don't know, I, this has been a pleasure. I, I think this is a good place to leave it on that last question and kind of that sentiment. And uh, I don't know. Uh, thank you guys for, for being up for this. And uh, I, I hope I thank you all the listeners and all and everything. And, and hopefully we'll, we'll do this again next year. Absolutely. Always a pleasure speaking to you too. And, and to be honest, always a pleasure talking about Southampton with anyone, whether it's people in the pub, people at the stadium, or just, you know, people on Twitter. Always a pleasure. Completely agree. And yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for, for both of you for agreeing to do it. And uh, as you said, Matt, thanks to everyone that's listened to all of our podcasts this season and to uh, this uh, super pod. Yeah. And, <laughs> and just so everybody knows, we'll put all the links and everything in, in the, in the show notes so they can go click and, and all that stuff. And, you know, Share it, have fun. Uh, find another Saints fan that doesn't listen to any of them and, and tell them to listen to all of them. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Just take their phones out of their hands and subscribe them to all three podcasts. That's the thing. <laughs> if they like the Saints, they won't, they won't begrudge you for making that decision. Cool. Lovely. All right. All right, chaps. Talk to you nice guys later. To talk to you. Yeah, Cheers, guys. See you guys. Bye-bye. Bye.